0: Welcome to The Deeper You Go, The Weirder It Gets. I'm your host, Garrett Rannon. So right now, April 26, 2020, we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has basically shut the entire world down. The consequences of this pandemic threatens not only our health, but our entire way of life. This pandemic is leading us our society, to a proverbial fork in the road where we will soon have to decide what kind of life we will live from here on out. No matter which path we choose, there's a good chance that our lives will be much different. The question is, will this different life be better or worse? Okay, so do you know who Rahm Emanuel is? Probably not. I mean, (laughs) he's really not that important. But anyway, he was President Obama's chief of staff. And in 2008, when referring to the financial slash housing crisis going on at the time, he was famously quoted saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. This quote was received many different ways. On one hand, some people took Rahm's statement as motivational. And it's true. Each crisis, each problem we face gives us an opportunity to learn grow and make changes. This same idea was uttered all the way back in 1937 by Napoleon Hill in his best-selling book, Think and Grow Rich, when he said, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. So it is possible that Rahm meant his statement as a way to give people hope in a time of crisis. But on the other hand, some people felt insulted by Rahm Emanuel's statement because our government has a long history of using a crisis as an opportunity to seize power, to seize more power, and gain more control. During the 2008 financial crisis, the government's response was to bail out the large banks instead of the homeowners. And despite being bailed out by the government, these large banks still awarded their top executives nearly 1.6. percent billion in salaries, bonuses, and other benefits. Yes, the CEOs and top executives received multi-million dollar pay packages, which were funded by taxpayer money while many Americans lost their home. The government used that crisis as a way to steal from the poor and give to the rich. And that happens a lot more than you might think. In fact, side note, it's actually happening right now with several large corporations having received stimulus money intended for small mom-and-pop businesses. So anyway, and then seven years before that financial crisis, the government used the crisis of 9-11 to pass the Patriot Act, which significantly expanded law enforcement's authority to surveil and capture communications which basically gave the government the right to spy on, well, all of us. And the interesting part is that many people agreed with the government's increased capabilities because it had the potential of preventing another terrorist attack. And maybe they're right. I don't know. So... A crisis brings an opportunity to learn and grow. It also brings lots of fear and uncertainty. It's this fear and uncertainty that our government loves to expose. Because when people are in a state of fear, many would gladly trade some freedoms and civil liberties in exchange for safety and comfort. It's straight out of the 1984 playbook. Well, right now, we, find our, we have found ourselves in the midst of another crisis. Once again, we find ourselves consumed with fear, panic, and uncertainty. So the question we must now ask ourselves is, what, if anything, are we willing to give up in the name of safety and security? This is a question that we all need to really think about, because on one hand, as I will discuss later in the episode, giving up freedoms and rights can actually help stop and even significantly slow the spread of a virus. But if we're not careful, the cost could be more than we are willing to pay. So with that in mind, I want to summarize and break down an interesting article written in The Atlantic by Derek Thompson titled, The Technology That Could Free America From Quarantine. So this article is about how technology can be and has been used to drastically reduce the spread of infectious disease through a method called test and trace. So to set the tone, I'm going to read the opening paragraphs of the article. Well, before before I do that, I want to let you all know that in addition to reading the opening paragraph, I'm also going to quote several sections of the article. So if you want to read the article before I talk about it, I suggest you do that now. You can find the link in the show notes. Okay, so here's the opening paragraph. It's a cool fall evening in September 2020. With a bottle of wine in hand, you slide into the front seat of your car to drive to a dinner party with close friends. It's been eight months since you've seen most of them, at least outside of a computer screen. As you're pulling out of the neighborhood, you feel your phone buzz. It's an alert from the new agency overseeing the coronavirus outbreak. On the lock screen, you can read the words, be advised. Your heart sinks as you unlock the phone to read the rest of the message. We have determined that in the past few days, you have you may have had an interaction with somebody who has recently tested positive for COVID-19. There's no need to panic, but for your sake, but for the sake of your family, friends, and neighbors, we are relying on your support. As soon as you can, please you stop reading. You know the drill. You turn off the car, walk back into the house. Open up the wine. It will be a bottle for one. Another spell of self-isolation begins now, or at least until you can get tested to prove you don't have the coronavirus. This could be a vision of the country's future. It is a world in which it is a world in which many businesses go back to normal, millions of people return to work, and social distancing distancing measures are relaxed. As we anxiously navigate a purgatory between the virus's early 2020 outbreak and its possible resurgence. It's also a world in which the return to normal is predicated on the introduction of a novel technology. Millions of Americans, many of whom might be deeply skeptical of government surveillance or big tech, may become participants in a national, in a national project to track their own movements and interactions to help public health experts map out the spread of an invisible enemy. This is the world of test and trace. So... That's how the article starts, and there's a lot to break down. First, let's start with what test and trace is. Well, the testing part is easy to understand. It's it's a test that determines whether or not you have COVID-19. Testing is happening every day all over the world, and it's a good thing. The tracing part is where things start to get interesting. According to the article, tracing, otherwise known as tracking, Or contact contact tracing means identifying all the recent interactions of sick individuals to determine whom they might have infected. Apparently, tracing has been around for a long time. For example, to stop the spread of Ebola, authorities from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention asked sick people to list recent interactions with family, friends, and businesses. That interview would produce a list of contacts, who would be monitored for illnesses for several weeks. As you can probably guess, the interview method had, had many flaws, such as faulty memory of individuals and the ability to contact others in a timely manner. So if you're looking to stop the spread of a deadly pandemic, pandemic the test and trace method is a great idea. But like I mentioned, old tracing methods were severely flawed to be really effective. But now we have technology on our side, and that tracing method can be done almost instantaneous with your phone. All you have to do is give the authorities permission to track your every move. And if you didn't know, our cell phones already track our every move. It's just that now we would like to believe that no one really has access or at the very least that this information is not used against us. However, in this new world of test and trace, if you test positive for COVID-19, health officials can obtain your phone's data, data and use it to determine where you've been and who you've come in contact with. For example, if your data showed that you went to Starbucks the day before, health officials would be able to message all the other people who were in that Starbucks the same time as you, notifying them that they may have come in contact with an infected person. This message would urge them to both isolate and get tested as soon as possible. This method of tracing is already happening in various degrees in China, South Korea, and Singapore. In China, as the article states, citizens in hundreds of cities have been required to download cell phone software that broadcasts their location to several authorities, including local police. The app combines geo-tracking with other data, such as travel bookings, to designate citizens with color codes ranging from green, which is low-risk, to red, which is high-risk. High-risk individuals can be banned from apartment complexes, offices, and even grocery stores. Many human rights advocates fear that what has been rolled out as a public health app is moonlighting as a tool for government espionage and mass discrimination. So think about that for a second. In China, millions of people's livelihood is determined by an app on their cell phone which produces one of two colors, red or green. Next, let's look at South Korea, which apparently has been more successful than any other country in containing the spread of the virus. As the article states, the government uses several sources such as cell phone location data, closed-circuit television, and credit card records to broadly monitor citizens' activities. When somebody tests positive, local governments can send out an alert, a bit like a flood warning, that reported that reportedly includes the individual's last name, sex, age, district, district of residence, and credit card history with a minute-to-minute record of their comings and goings from various local businesses. In some districts, public information, which includes which rooms of a building the person was in, when they visited a toilet, or whether or not they wore a mask. Even overnight stays at love motels have been noted. New cases in South Korea have declined about 90 percent in the past 40 days, which is an extraordinary achievement. But the amount of information in South Korea's tracing alerts has turned some some of its citizens into impervious armchair detectives who scour the Internet in an attempt to identify people who test positive and then condemn, condemn them online. And then in Singapore, Residents can download an app called Trace Together, which uses Bluetooth technology to keep a log of nearby devices. If somebody gets sick, that user can upload relevant data to the Ministry of Health, which notifies the u- users of all the devices pinged by the infected person's phone. As the article states, the downside of the Singapore's app is that you have to register your phone. Register with your phone number. When a person is found infected with the disease, the authorities can easily match the ID with the associate with the associated home numbers and impose restrictive measures directly on these people. So as you can see, there are various levels of tracking with, with China and Singapore or sorry, with, with China and South Korea being extreme and Singapore being slightly less invasive. So here's the dilemma. Using tracking technology has been proven to reduce COVID deaths when compared to the United States, which is not currently using this method. However, there are downsides, as you can see. China seems to be using their tracking data as just another factor when calculating a person's social credit score. Imagine if that happened here. Imagine that you had a vacation planned to Hawaii, and when you show up to the airport, you were denied injury because your health passport, which, believe it or not, isn't an idea, is an idea being thrown around. So you're denied entry because your health passport on your phone said you're unable to travel. Imagine having to show your health passport to go to the store or to get a job, to enter a building, or to travel. Remember, this is already happening. It's just not happening here yet. Would you be willing to have your every move tracked by the government to help slow the spread of a virus? It's a question you should really put some thought into because there's a very good chance you will have to make this decision within the next several months. In all, honestly, it's not an easy question to answer. This question has multiple layers. See, in a perfect world, the answer would be yes. Of course I would submit to having my movements tracked, because a perfect world would not have a corrupt government running the show. In this perfect world, tracking would be done on a temporary basis. Once the virus was contained, we would no longer need to have our movements tracked. But as we all know, our world is far from perfect, and we all know that our government is corrupt. Or at least I hope you do. Once our government takes control, they never really give it back. See, in the book 1984, one of the ways the government of Oceania... Kept control over its citizens was to be in a state of perpetual war. The purpose of being in a perpetual war, according to the 1984 Wikipedia page, was to consume human labor and commodities so that the economy could not support economic equality with a high standard of life for every citizen. With the war machine using most of the produced objects like boots and rations, the majority of citizens were kept poor and uneducated. And because of this, they never realized what the government was doing nor rebelled. Does that sound familiar? Since 9-11, our government has been in a perpetual state of war. with With the military industrial complex consuming a lot of our resources and even the majority of human ingenuity. If you listen to the last episode, where I talk about the F-22 Raptor, you'll know what I mean. In 1984, one of the ways the government stayed in a perpetual state of war was to be vague about the enemy. Again, that should sound familiar. For the last 18 years or so, we have fought the longest war in history, the war on terror. You don't get much more vague than terror. Who is terror? What country is it from? How do you define terror? Or what about the war on drugs? We have been fighting that since 1971. Well, and I guess maybe that's actually the longest war in history. Again, fighting a war on drugs is just as vague as terror. What is a drug? Are pharmaceuticals drugs? Is alcohol a drug? Drugs is a loosely defined term. I bring this up because now we may be at the beginning of a new war, the war on viruses. Now, I'm not saying... This is what is going to happen. However, if a government wanted to easily gain control over its citizens, what better way than to go to war against an enemy that you can't see, touch, smell, or taste? An enemy that can be anywhere and anyone. An enemy that you don't even know you are fighting until you get, until you get a test. An enemy that can go away and reappear at any moment, right? It's here today, gone tomorrow, then back again in a few months, It's the perfect enemy. So with that in mind, let me ask the question one more time. Would you be willing to have your every move tracked by the government to help slow the spread of a virus? Lastly, before you answer, I'm going to leave you with one more nugget to chew on. The other day I saw an interesting meme. The meme had two birds. One bird was in a cage, the other sitting on a windowsill. Talking to the bird in the windowsill, the bird in the cage says, So then I had him build me a cage, and I really like it. Now I'm safe from cats, and no one can sneak up on me. The bird on the windowsill then says, but now you can't fly. See you on the other side.